If you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Esther. Esther chapter 5. It's found on page 486. Esther 5, we're going to be reading the first eight verses. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters, while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter, and the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it pleases the king, let the king and and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Pete Grayeyes was born in 1927 near Navajo Mountain, Arizona. His father was a Navajo medicine man as well as a a shepherd. And and Pete, he followed in his father's footsteps. Eventually, he became a medicine man in in the same community where he had grown up. He treated many of the people there in the in the village and And apparently he had quite a name for himself because of his great power in healing people. His reputation was well known. But something strange and terrible began to happen in 1974. A couple of people from the Missionary Alliance Church, they had visited them and and tried to share the message of Jesus with them. And, And while his wife was a little bit interested, Pete wanted nothing to do with it. Soon after they left, something terrible began to happen. They began to get sick. His wife became really sick, and uh, it became so bad that Pete had to bring her to a hospital in Gallup, New Mexico. And from there, they sent her to Albuquerque um, because they they couldn't treat her there in in, in Gallup. And when she got to Albuquerque, despite all the tests, the, the doctors just didn't know what was going on. And eventually they sent her home in order to die. About that same time, his three daughters became ill. And Pete also became sick, with sores all over his body. Despite the great power that Pete had, there was nothing he could do to help his family. And then on top of it, other things began to happen. His sheep and cattle and horses, they began to die. And then on top of that, at nighttime, coyotes suddenly started to come and, and fight all around their, their hogan. 
And in the, the, the juniper tree right outside their hogan, um, owls started coming every single night. Not just one or two owls, but a dozen owls would be in that juniper tree hooting all night long. Some of you might know for the Navajo people, owl is not a good sign. It's a sign of death, and when you have a dozen sitting outside your house, you better start making out your will. Well, since the Navajo traditional religion, it seemed to be of no help to Pete and his family, he contacted the Christians that had come to his home, and they invited him to a revival. I think it was in Black Mountain. So that evening, he took his wife and his three daughters, and they went to church for the very first time. When he walked into the sanctuary, a a, a complete hush fell over the congregation because they knew who Pete was, and people couldn't believe that they saw him walking into a church. A preacher by the name of Herman Williams was sharing the gospel that night, and because of the working of the Holy Spirit, Pete and his wife and his daughters, they all accepted the Lord as their Lord and Savior. Before Pete left that evening, he went to the pastor and he asked him this question. He explained how he and his wife and his children and his livestock had all become sick, and he wanted to know if Jesus could help him with that. And the preacher says, you bet he can. And on top of that, Pete also said that he knows that there's going to be coyotes and owls sitting outside his hogan when he got home. Could Jesus help him with that? And the the preacher says, Jesus definitely can help you with that as well. And so the pastor prayed for Pete and his family. And then Pete asked him one more question. He goes, what if I get home tonight and and the the coyotes and the owls are still there? What do I do? And and the, the pastor thought for a moment and he says, well, I want you to preach to those owls. Preach to the coyotes if they're, they're there too. And I want you to tell them that you now belong to Jesus. And so Pete said, okay. Well, Pete didn't get home till almost 3 a.m. And sure enough, the owls were still outside his hogan, a good dozen of them, sitting in that juniper tree. And so he nervously said he cleared his throat and began to speak to those owls. And he says, I have something to tell you, owls. We went to church last night, and we gave our lives to Jesus. So I belong to Jesus, my wife belongs to Jesus, my kids belong to Jesus. And he went on, he goes, my livestock belong to Jesus, even my house and and my my dog and cat, they belong to Jesus. All my land, he says, belongs to Jesus. He says, so you're trespassers here, and so you need to leave. And he goes, in the name of the great chief, the Lord Jesus Christ, I command you, every one of you, to leave in Jesus' name. He said after he stopped talking, he just stood there and he looked at them. He looked at the owls that were in the juniper tree. And they just looked back at him. And that went on for a couple minutes. And finally Pete said that the owls started to fly away one by one until there was no owls left. He said in the morning the sickness that had been on them and his family and his livestock, it was completely gone. Even the sores on his body were were all healed. Pete found out later that five medicine men had put curses on them. But thankfully, Pete and his family found that God was more powerful than any medicine men, than the evil that the devil 
wields against us. You know, we don't always think about spiritual warfare going on around us. But the devil clearly has an agenda, and he's out to make us fall, to make us stumble. Why does, God, why does Satan hate God's people so much? And I think the answer is really simple. Satan hates what God loves. And since we are his precious children that he loves so dearly, he loves us enough to send his one and only son, he hates us all the more. And he wants us to fall. In the story of Esther, I think there's another reason of what we see going on at, at this particular time that, that plays into this. And it actually goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. After Adam and Eve's sin and judgment came, God said to Satan that there would one day come one who would bruise his head, even though the serpent would bruise his heel. In other words, that the one who stepped on Satan and crushed his head would be the victor. And this is the first messianic prophecy to be found in the Bible, Genesis 3.15. And you better believe that Satan was paying attention when he heard God say this. And so Satan tries to stop the Messiah who would come through the, the Jewish race. He tried when he inspired Pharaoh to kill all the Jewish baby boys. He tried in the days of Esther by trying to annihilate all the Jewish people living in all the provinces, which would have included even the, um, the Holy Land. He tried again after Jesus was born and King Herod murdered all the baby boys in Bethlehem. He also tried when Jesus Christ was crucified. The devil unwittingly played into God's perfect plan because eventually the Savior did come and crushed the devil's head on the cross. Isaiah 53.5 states, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. It was all part of God's great plan of redemption for the world. You know, I tend to think that, that Esther and Mordecai, they knew, they sensed that more was going on here than what they could see with their, their physical eyes. They sensed the spiritual warfare that they were under. And, and so Esther puts a plan in place. And she says that her and her handmaidens, they were going to fast for three days. Three days, that's a long time to fast, if any of you have ever fasted. And that Mordecai and the Jews that were in, in, in the town, they also would fast. They would fast and, and, and pray to God and ask for God's help, that God might come and save his people. Only after they did this was Esther willing to go to the king and appear before him. Maybe we ought to pause for just a moment and, and remind ourselves what fasting and prayer is really all about. I think it's clear that fasting is a, a spiritual discipline that's taught in the Bible over and over again. Jesus expected his followers to fast and pray. And he encouraged his disciples to do that, his people. Fasting demonstrates to God the depth of your desire when praying for something. Hear me, though, when I say that. When you fast, it doesn't mean automatically you get what you're praying for. But it does prepare us 
for God's answer, for God's power to be unleashed in whichever way he decides. We also need to keep in mind that fasting and prayer, it it releases God's supernatural power. That's why we see in the New Testament, often before any great movement of the Holy Spirit, God's people were fasting and praying. Before disciples were chosen, before the deacons were chosen, before they decided to go to a new, in a new direction, there was much prayer and often fasting. United prayer and fasting, it, it's always been used by God's people in order to deal a decisive blow to the devil. For Esther and her young women and Mordecai and the Jews from Susa, to pray and, and, and to commit to fasting for three days, you can see that they thought that the situation was desperate, that God alone could help them. And so chapter 5, it, it opens with these words. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes. The third day of what? Of the fast. Of seeking God's face. During that time, you can be sure There was a lot of sincere and desperate hearts coming before the throne of God, asking him to intercede, not knowing how, what God could possibly do, because you might remember from last time that when the king spoke, it was a decree that couldn't be changed. It it became law. And so the king had approved this plan to kill all the Jews, and so I'm sure they were wondering, what, what can God possibly do to save them? And so you can feel the suspense kind of building um, in our story. You know, it's easy to put off prayer until after we've tried everything else. But when we do that, what are we saying about really what we really believe about prayer when we treat prayer as an afterthought? Today, when there's a problem in your life or marriage or the church, is prayer the first thing you turn to? Or do you try to talk it out and work it out and form a committee? Go to counseling. I mean, those are all good things. I'm not criticizing those. But at the same time, what should be the very first thing that we turn to in times of trouble? The Bible tells us to the Lord to pray, to seek God's face, his throne of grace. You know, when we try to work things out in our own strength, we we become so worn and frazzled, and we wonder why we make such a mess of things. And the reason for that is because we're not God. We need to turn to God and look to Him and ask Him for strength and wisdom in handling the situations that, that come our way. Maybe some of you are facing a crisis right now. You may be wondering how in the world you're going to solve it. It seems too big. Too big to, to try to get over. But you know what? Nothing is impossible with our God. Nothing. And so in faith, we need to approach his throne. I can't tell you all the, the times, not all the times, but there have been times when I've rushed into a decision. Maybe I fired off an email. I called somebody when really I should have just waited a while and calmed down a little bit. 
And, and so the, the email that I wrote or the phone call I made ended, to be, ended up being a lot sharper and, and that, than I really wanted it to be. You know, I think we can all learn from this. How important it is to first go to the Lord in prayer and to see it through God's eyes. Because sometimes what we think is the truth really isn't. We can so easily be misled by what we see going on around us, and that's why we need to have the mind of Christ, the thoughts of Christ, the heart of Christ. Well, after God's people prayed, Esther puts on her royal robes and and stands in the court of the king. I think you could say that Esther was dressed to impress. Because you might remember from the opening chapter that, that the king liked his queen to look good. Verse 2, when King Xerxes saw Esther standing there, we're told that he was pleased with her, and he held out his royal scepter to her. He could have commanded his guards to just kill her because she came into his presence uninvited, but he didn't. Those prayers softened his heart. God softened his heart. And so he held out that scepter to Esther, and he, was, he, he greeted her warmly. And, and not only did he greet her, but he was, and for King Xerxes, this was, this was huge. He could see that something was troubling her. King Xerxes was all about himself. He could only see himself, but suddenly he could see that something was troubling Queen Esther. And so he asked her, and he says, even up to half my kingdom, it's yours. It's him saying that is really kind of a hyperbole. But still, I, I think it shows us his heart, his attitude toward Esther, that it was warm and he wanted to help her. And so Esther tells him, would you please come with Haman to a feast that I've prepared? That was to happen that day. Now that in itself should kind of amaze you because you've got to remember Esther was fasting and praying for the last three days, which meant even that morning, while she's fasting, she's preparing this meal. And if you've ever fasted, the smell of food cooking, oh, it's a killer. But it's, it's good because when, when you have that pain, that, um, that hunger pain in, in your stomach, it's at those moments then you have to... You tell yourself, well, i got to think about the Lord. I want him to satisfy me more than, than what food could. And so you invite him to come in, in, a, in a, a deeper way into, into your life, into your heart, to help you in your time of need. But it must have been hard preparing that meal when you were that hungry. I think we so easily forget how prayer works. I think because of that, that's why we're so quick to give up on it. Oh, we'll pray about things for a couple of days, but then we can so easily forget when we need to be persistent in prayer, the Bible says. But we see clearly how the King Xerxes' heart was changed as the people prayed. And I think that tells us something, that, that God chose to unleash his power to work on King Xerxes' heart only as his people prayed. He waited for his people to pray. He included them to be part of his great plan of salvation. And that's still true for us even today. You know, it's so easy to say that, oh yeah, God's sovereign, he's got everything in control, I don't have to worry about this. I don't even have to pray about it really, because 
God's in control. But what we're forgetting is he's sovereign and he's in control, but he chooses often to allow his prayers to be unleashed as we pray, especially when we come together as a church and pray. We unleash a power that I don't think we're, we're fully aware of. It's not because our, we, we pray exactly using the right words that our prayers have to be so long. It's because we're praying in Jesus' name. That's what gives our prayers its power. And so we need to unleash that power often. Unleash it over yourself. Unleash it over your children. Unleash it over your spouse. Unleash it on behalf of your church family, for our community, for our world. What a privilege God has given us to come before his throne in prayer. Think about it. What a privilege. Especially when we can come together as a family of God. But not only did Esther wait those three days to talk to the king, we're also told that after she invited them to come and they had their meal and they were sitting there and, and the king asked her, well, what is your request? Again, she says, can we do this again tomorrow? The Lord was leading her to wait one more day. And I'm sure to her, she probably wondered, why? Why do I need to wait another day? I've got the king here. I've got Haman here. I might as well do it now and tell the king what's been happening, that her life was in jeopardy. But she doesn't. She waits upon the Lord because the Lord impressed upon her heart the importance of this. And we'll find out next time why she needed to wait. You know, it's hard sometimes when we have to wait on God because we want things to happen in our timing. And yet God can see the whole picture. He can see all the parts that we can't see, and so we need, we need to just trust God, that he knows what he's doing, and that his timing is always the best. You know, thankfully, while Esther risked everything to approach King Xerxes, it's not like that when we approach our king, is it? When we approach the king of kings, his scepter is always pointed toward us. He invites us to come at any time. We never bother him. He's never sleeping. He's never too busy for us. But he invites us to come to his throne of grace. God is always reminding us that his door is open to us and that we can boldly approach his throne. And the reason we can do that, again, is because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. Because the King of Kings, he came and he won victory over sin and death. And because of that, we can approach the throne of God anytime. And we know that God will listen to us because we pray in Jesus' name. What will you give? What will you give up, I should say, in order to take advantage of this great privilege? What will you give up? Are you willing maybe to turn off that TV program a half hour early so you can spend time in God's Word and spend time talking to Him? Are you willing to maybe get up just a little bit earlier? 
so that you can spend that time with God before you start your day. You know, it's so easy to to put prayer off, but it's one of the most important things that we can do each day, and it needs to be our priority. We see that in so many of the saints. We see that in Jesus. If Jesus needed to spend time with the Father, how much more do we need to spend that time with him? This is the example that, that Jesus laid out for us. And parents, grandparents, I just throw this out here, but what do your children see when they look at you? Do they see their parents committed to prayer? Do they see you actually praying, or do they just hear you talk about it? We need to teach our children how to pray. It's one of the, the more important things that we can teach them. Because without Christ in our lives, we are nothing. This morning, is there anything keeping you from giving yourself to prayer? Giving yourself to this incredible privilege? Imagine what God would do here in our midst if we came together like that and prayed. Really prayed. Prayed for the needs of this body. Prayed for the needs of our community. Prayed for the needs of of the world. Think of the power we could unleash here. We're a praying church. I'm not saying that. That we don't pray. But I think there's always room for improvement, isn't there? And we need to get that into our, our mindset. That this is something we need to do. Before anything, just come before the Lord in prayer. May we never reduce prayer to an afterthought, but always remember that it's, it's a blood-bought privilege of Christ, given to us by Christ. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Esther and Mordecai. Lord, how they came before your throne and Lord, how we saw your faithfulness. How you came to their aid exactly when they needed it. But Father, we also are mindful that we can't always see what you can see. And so Lord, even when you ask us to wait, Lord, may we be patient knowing that your timing is always the best. Father, impress upon us even now, Lord, what you want us to to be in prayer for, whether it be a, a family member, a need, need in the community. And we pray that we might be faithful in approaching your throne. Thank you for this incredible privilege called prayer. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If you would stand and let's sing all the way.